Manx Museum is 100 years old this year. It is home to an extraordinary collection of artefacts and archives that help tell the story of the Isle of Man and its people. To celebrate our centenary, we have curated a special exhibition and podcast, Museum 100, which will feature a kaleidoscope of treasures from our collections. So I'm Katie King and I'm Curator of Art and Social History for Manx National Heritage. I'm Laura McCoy and I'm the Curator of Natural History for Manx National Heritage. I am Alison Fox and I am Curator of Archaeology for Manx National Heritage. So we'll start with you Katie I think. First it's, it is number 100, we've got to the end, uh, I bet you never thought we would. But it's been a fantastic series, a wonderful series of podcasts, a great celebration of the work done at Manx National Heritage. Just tell us a little bit about the idea behind it first when it started off. So we, um, last year in November 2022, it was the 100th birthday of the Manx Museum. And to mark that really exciting occasion, we decided to have an exhibition at the Manx Museum, which ran for the full year. And we decided to spotlight some of the collections that were going to be, or the objects that were going to be on show either in Museum 100 exhibition or um are already on show in our galleries here at the museum. So we wanted to just um, do a very mini a mini piece, a mini podcast, if you like, or a mini soundbite about one particular object that, uh, that we look after in our collection. So the whole team here, the whole collections team were involved, from our archivists to our library assistants, um, all our curators, our conservator team as well. So we all got to choose, I think, about 10 objects that, that spoke to us that we really wanted to share that story um, with, with people um, so that they could celebrate it a bit more. So we thought for our 100th episode we could talk a little bit more about that process and also talk a little bit more about other collections that um, we look after, what we plan to do with our collections in future and keep, keep, keep people getting excited about the collections that we look after, after for the people of the Isle of Man. So, Laura, was it a tricky one for you then? A lot to go at, I dare say. Uh, I, a little bit tricky because I find all of my collections interesting and um, so I'm trying to like pick out things that will spark interest in people that aren't quite so enthusiastic about my subjects as I am. Um, but there were some... What I really loved about it was I kind of had carte blanche to just go... We just want to see some cool stuff <laughs> to get people excited. And I'm like, great. Um, so I tried to uh, put in the examples of the breadth of, of the natural history collection, because I think a lot of people, when they think of a natural history collection, they just think of like dead animals, like taxidermy um, or, you know, something like on, along those lines. Whereas actually, it's basically anything that represents the natural world. So it could be, you know, stones uh, or pressed plants, birds' nests, eggs, um, you name it, even sound recordings. So, you know, I wanted to try and get that across a little bit. Um, not to mention, like, the archives. So obviously, natural history archives are, are super important because they contain loads of data. Um, which is, you know, really useful when you're looking at things like changes in the environment. So I, yeah, I really, I really, um, 
liked picking out the uh, pictures as well um, so that the wall had a huge um, gallery of, of pictures um, of beautiful scenes around the island of which we do not lack um, as well as very prominent um, collectors and natural history um, natural history experts um, that we've had on the island as well so that was really lovely so yeah no I, I really enjoyed it we had some cool things on display like a pygmy shrew which is, is one of the smallest animals on earth and um, it's the only shrew that we have on the island and uh, and they're super cute <laughs> so who doesn't like looking at those and you Alison was it something did you want to try and get across the sort of the breadth of your collection or did you have particular pieces you wanted to highlight uh, I think a bit of both, really. I think one of the things I really enjoyed with the Museum 100 exhibition was the opportunity to have a really good chat with colleagues about, you know, the, the kinds of ways we could work together with um, sort of combining the collections. We, we tend to work in, you know, I work in archaeology, Laura does natural history, Katie does art and social history, and Matthew the same. Um, so it was, it was really good to see things like we had... Um, uh, Katie did a beautiful objects case, um, but there was archaeology in that. So it wasn't just, you know, sort of nineteenth um, century artworks that were we regarded as beautiful. It was some of the really finely crafted archaeological artifacts as well, and that really enabled me to have a fantastic delve into the boxes. Um, I've been here quite a long time now, and I'm familiar with the collections. But even now, I open a box and think, good heavens, what's that? Uh, so an exhibition like this um, was a real privilege. I think it, it was a real privilege to be here for the centenary of the Manx Museum. You know, we, we did a, a lot of work on how it all began and our heritage hero, PMC Kermode, uh, who was, sort of, you know, the, the guy who started it all. Um, and to be here for that centenary was a real privilege, as I say, but also to be able to just pluck things out of the archaeology collection. You know, there's, there's 10,000 years in there um, and we can't show everything, but I wanted to show the breadth of it, as you say, but also pick out things that were just really odd or really quirky because that's what people are and that's what the archaeology collections are about. They're about people and these tiny, tiny remains we have of them and what we can try and put forward, what we might think that tells us about the people. Do you think, yeah, Katie, it was a chance to really get across, the, uh, the, I suppose, the scope of the work done at MNH, because a lot of people, everyone knows the museum, and people come along, and being the way it is, most local people probably don't go in unless they've got visitors coming over and such like, but it's, for me, certainly listening to all of them, it has given you a great insight of just the work that goes on, things like, you know, paper conservator work, and, and again, sitting in the art store here, the sheer breadth and the amount of material which has been conserved and still is being conserved. Yeah, definitely. So we have, um, we've got about a million objects and archives in our care, all connected to the story of the Isle of Man and, and people's story, which sounds a lot, but when you start to factor in um, our archive and our library team, that, that's where the bulk of those numbers are. And Laura takes a bulk of that with the National Flea Collection and the, and the Beatles, you know, the, the numbers start to increase, and of Alison's Flint Collection as well. So um, in my collection, I've got about 40,000 objects that I look after which is social history objects, anything from the 1600s to the present day, um, and about 6,000 artworks. Now, only about 5% of the collections that I look after are ever on display at any one time, because we don't just collect for exhibition purposes. So we collect, um, we like to describe it as like a 3D library or an archive, you know. Um, if something's got a very strong story, a very strong provenance, we will collect it if it helps us 
every sort of object's a little piece in the jigsaw, really, to, to the island story. Um, but when it comes to putting those objects on display, there is a phenomenal amount of work that needs to go on. Um, from research, for one, you have to sort of really unpick and challenge the stories that have come with those objects to make sure that it's, it's truthful or as truthful as, as we can make it. Um, for the art collection, Sometimes we've got a beautiful artwork and we know virtually nothing about the artist or nothing really about the scene. And it might have been collected over 100 years ago. So we, so um, the project I'm working on at the moment is the rehang of the National Art Gallery here at the museum. So you have to start on picking that, you know, who is this artist? When was he painting? Um, what is this scene trying to tell us? Is it aesthetically pleasing? If it's not, why is it here? Because our art collection is actually not just a fine art collection. It's a, it's a folk art and a naive art collection as well. So sometimes it's about amateur artists painting a scene that's now lost and predates photography. So you start on picking all of this and then you need to speak to our, your, our conservators. So we've got our collections care manager and lead conservator, Chris Weeks, and our paper conservator, Emma Lacournieu. And what they do is give me a reality check on how easily that object, that painting in this instance, will be to put on display. So um, a number of works have left the island this year to be conserved um, in a fine art specialist studio in, 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 in England, which has been really generously funded by the Friends of Manx National Heritage. We're really grateful for them. And 40% of the art that we're putting on show at the moment hasn't been seen in public before for all sorts of different reasons. So we're trying to explain both the Museum 100 and we're taking that story forward into the art gallery. We're trying to explain why things are in storage and why we can't put everything on display all at once. And of the 6,000 artworks we look after, how actually quite a small proportion of that art is display ready. So um, yeah, so from research to photography to updating our collections online and to making the display dynamic and exciting like Museum 100 was. So trying to explain to local people, this is how we care for your collections and make sure you visit the museum, not just with your family when they're visiting, but this show has been designed, the art gallery has been designed to open for local people and um, to enjoy over the winter months before our tourists come back, of course. Just slipped in there. I can't let that one go. Uh, national flea collection, Laura. I knew there was a national moth collection because I've seen some of it, which is massive. But is there really a, a, a flea collection within the stores as well? There is, and it's quite—it's very small. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of them, but they are individually very small. Um, yes, they're prepared on slides, and they're in a, a little blue box, and um, they are yes, uh, they look very, very um, flea-like. <laughs> but I think a lot of people. You know, they just think of fleas as, you know, just a, a one, there's just one species, but actually they're quite, they can be quite species specific. So cat fleas, um, rabbit fleas, that, you know, they're, they are actually different. Um, and you can get human fleas, of course. Now, human fleas, uh, they used to be the fleas that were used in flea circuses. Um, human fleas are quite big, um, but as you can imagine, they're quite rare now because hu humans are now very good at taking care of themselves and hygiene and so on. So the reason why we don't have flea circuses anymore is that fle uh, human fleas are really the only fleas that are suitable for flea circuses because they're quite big and strong. <laughs> and so they're the, they're the um, only species that are capable of, of using all the little machines and the little dumbbells and things that get stuck to them um, and the circus master used to feed the fleas by them feeding on them by him on him so yeah I know uh, I could go on I'm, I'll, I'll leave it I'll leave it there what, what fun we have at Max Such Heritage because these are the conversations we have over all a cup of time. tea all the time every day is a school day here yeah <laughs>
I suppose it isn't. I suppose, Alison, for you with, with archaeology, I guess that's the one thing people might associate most with museums, archaeology, literally, you know, digs going on. People might see digs going on, think about coming across bodies. Is that the more... Is that the more exciting end of, of sort of your work, do you think, or, or is it far more based in research and in rooms like this? I think it's very much one part of the archaeology collections. Um, by no means uh, all of our archaeology collections have been gathered through excavations. A lot of them, especially over the past few years, have been chance finds. Um, in the past three, four decades, metal detecting has um, you know, grown our... Uh, certainly Viking Age collections enormously and there's been some incredible finds um, but the excavations are important uh, just uh, to pick up on the fleas. We did have uh, from excavations uh, one of the Viking Age burials um, there were cases of fly larvae found uh, on the body of the Viking which indicated that he when he died he wasn't actually buried straight away he was kind of left out in the open cool. for a little while bit of excarnation oh, bit of defleshing and things um, but what that is perhaps indicating is you read in the sagas which were written 400 years after the burial um, but they talk about the the chieftains uh, dying but then they were essentially left out in state before they were buried so you know you get these tiny tiny fleas from excavations and they then again they sort of you know they time team this whole sort of imaginary scene of what happened a thousand years ago um, so the archaeological collections um, have are as varied as the people who left them behind one of the uh, big parts of the archaeological collections are the human remains um, so things like the Viking Age burials we do have human remains um, and we have a responsibility to treat those properly and ethically we have a lot of researchers who we rely on to tell us more about the remains that we have um, but we have to make sure that we don't use any material inappropriately or let anybody else use anything inappropriately and that we will still have material for people to look at in 100 years time um, and that's a big part of what we do as well it, it's that responsibility once something comes into the museum we have a real duty of care to it and we all take that very seriously well, I think we've given a taste of, I tell you, the conversations around the water cooler must be great down at MNH. Okay. It's uh, wonderful from fleas to Vikings to, like I said, social history and poltergeist and pictures and who knows what. It's uh, amazing stuff. Um, right, a quick one to finish off then, because we could talk all day on this quite happily, but any favourites? I'll throw it open. So any favourites, not just necessarily from your own specialist area, but sort of something that really pricked your ears up you might have heard on the Museum 100 or something within your own area that you came across and thought, wow, actually, that is quite amazing. Any takers? Yeah, for me, it's it's. I've been really delving into the art collection and started doing so for Museum 100. And one of the things I've been enjoying doing is renaming female artists, sorry, female sitters. So some of our collections were donated many, many years ago. And um, one lady was simply known as Mrs. John Quayle. She'd lost her first name and her last and well and her last name no one knew anything about it other than who her husband was so I had some good delving some feminist delving to establish who she was and she was a really interesting person in her own right so I've re renamed her so she's now Mrs Margaret Quayle um, and her maiden name was Frissel Tellett so she she was um, she outlived her husband by quite some margin and was an amazing philanthropist in Castletown. So I've been enjoying that I've been putting a bit of meat to um, the bones of some of our collections. 
give them their names back. <laughs> <laughs> and Laura, I mean, I thought lots of fascinating stuff there. I love the pygmy shrew, the, I think it was the white-tailed eel, eagle I was fascinated about as well. Yes, I, um, I loved showing the juxtaposition of the beetles. So we have some incredibly tiny, tiny beetles in our collection. Um, and we also have a very large goliath beetle from Africa. And um, I really liked showing off, you know, the, just the breadth and the differences in the animal kingdom and, um, and just how varied, you know, our natural history can be. And Alison, any standouts either in archaeology or perhaps any other areas you might have heard of over the span of Museum 100? Uh, I think today, because it changes, uh, my favourite artefact in the exhibition was, um, um, I did a podcast about it, it's the very tip of a clay mould for making a Bronze Age sword. Um, so this like really tiny, it's only about a centimetre um, in size, um, but, and, uh, but you can see... The Bronze Age swords that we do have, um, if you compare the tips to the shape of that mould, they fit. And so just to have this tiny, tiny fragment of something um, that indicated such grand technology 3,000 years ago that produced these amazing-looking weapons, and which were really the first things meant to hurt somebody rather than dual purpose for you know feeding yourself or catching something or anything like that um so just that one tiny fragment really for me um encapsulates the archaeology collections really it's been a, an amazing series uh, a real eye-opener i think for a lot of people podcasts all there available of course you can go and check out anytime the museums are always here on the isle of man and always doing something and just uh, finally i guess uh, katie it's the work goes on uh, and that's I suppose that's why sitting here now, more things are being curated. And in another, if we had this conversation another 100 years' time or 200 years' time, the stuff we're using now could be being spoken about in the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly with my collection, because we, we collect, well, I collect, we collect um, the modern, modern stories as well. So that was um, something fun that we showed in Museum 100, the stuff we've, we collected um, in recent times, which includes the collecting COVID stuff that we have, um, Vida La Fierce's dress from opening the first Isle of Pride. So, yeah, we always debate all the time. We have these meetings once a month about what we should be collecting to represent now. Um, yeah, so um, what, what will we have in, in another 100 years? Um, but we'll certainly still be here, and the collections that we've been speaking about in this podcast will still be here too. Lovely. Fascinating series. Great series of podcasts. Always plenty to see down at MNH. Thanks very much for talking. Thank you.